0: Posta presents, If You Break Down in a Slovakian Forest, Stay in Your Car. Written by Mike Jesus. Imagine this. A bumpy hill road in the middle of nowhere. The forest is so thick and overgrown that, even on a clear Sunday morning, you need to keep your headlights on. The trees tower high above you and extend everywhere the eye can see. A hundred years ago, these dark hills were a complete mystery to the local population. They still are. Now there's just a poorly kept road leading through them. Also, Imagine this. A bad hangover. The type of hangover that comes with overindulging in plum schnapps of questionable origin. You feel your eyes pressing against the back of your skull. The concept of enjoying food without dry heaving seems like something you'll be able to experience late next week. Your mouth is a burnt-down distillery that has been co-opted as a storage space for stubbed-out cigarettes. Everything sucks, and it sucks hard. Now, combine the two. That's where I was. Sitting in the back of a car, riding through tight turns in a road so rustic that it felt like I was in the sweaty bowels of an ill-medicated epileptic. The radio kept on indecisively stepping between a Slovakian fire and brimstone preacher, kooky Hungarian folk music, and the sharp hush of static next to me, with his big head pressed against the window, Yuri snored with the type of intensity that usually requires medical intervention. The snoring was far from pleasant, but it was significantly better than the alternative. Yuri was just as hungover as I was, but where my fear of puking was purely hypothetical, his was a looming threat over the sanctity of the car, As soon as Uriah passed out and stopped crinkling the plastic bag on his lap, I felt considerably safer. Both Uri and me were far too hungover to drive. Peter was behind the wheel. Even though the man was stone cold sober and didn't touch a single drink last night, I didn't feel particularly safe with him driving either. He kept his fingers wrapped around the steering wheel and refused any of my attempts at small talk. But I knew he wasn't really thinking about the road. Peter was a wreck. So was Uri. Taking them out to the cabin was a mistake my wife had anticipated the moment I announced the trip. It's just a guy's weekend off. Those two need some fresh air and distraction. What could go wrong? Are you sure you know what you're getting into. You barely know them outside of work. I have a sneaking suspicion you might be biting off more than you can chew. 48 hours later, riding through the dark forest with my body drained of anything resembling joy, I found myself agreeing with my wife. I was just happy that I would be home in less than three hours if the D1 highway would be kind to us. (laughs) the congestion on the D1 quickly became irrelevant. I was scared of eye puking on me, or of Peter driving us off a cliff, but the betrayal came from a wholly unexpected place. My car. A reliable companion of over a decade was undone by a slightly uncomfortable incline. What's happening? Peter's broken-hearted trance was cracked by our sudden stop. Is this... Shit. Shit! Shit! The car started to slide backward. Before we knew it, we were off the road with the front of the vehicle peeking out of a ditch and the back bumper intimately acquainted with a tree. Uh Your eye woke well after impact. Ugh, he said, assessing the situation. Then he vomited in the plastic bag he'd been clutching the whole way from the cabin. The damage was worse than expected. The engine had petered out on our way up the hill, but a bad engine can sometimes be persuaded to carry you to the nearest gas station on Faith alone. What made any chance at a return to civilization nil was that our meeting with the tree caused one of the wheels to dislodge, There was no way to attach it back. The lug nuts were elsewhere, probably causing an overzealous squirrel terrible pain elsewhere in the forest. So there we were, stuck in a forest darker than sin in a car smelling of puke. My phone was out of battery, Peter's cell was sitting at 9%, and your eye didn't believe in phones. Luckily, my insurance was quick to contact a tow truck. Unluckily, the closest one in my network was about six to eight hours away. The air outside of the car made the situation considerably more bearable. Somewhere beyond the trees, there was a heat wave burning up the country, but in the shade of the woods, it was almost chilly. Almost. The air in the forest was perfect. It also didn't smell like vomit, which was a big plus. Uri got out of the car after me and emptied out the plastic bag a good ten meters away. The guy stumbled his way through the shrubbery, occasionally having to hold his sluggish body against a tree or two. I appreciated the courtesy. What I didn't appreciate is him stuffing the bag into the pocket of his shorts. Might puke again. Uriah said when he noticed me noticing. When I told my wife Uriah had just gotten out of a six-year relationship, she was surprised he ever had one to begin with. After the cabin weekend, so was I. The forest was completely silent. All that could be heard was the rustling of trees from that ever-so-gentle breeze. It was nice. Almost. The stillness of the woods had made our lack of things to talk about much more apparent. So, this, uh, kinda sucks. Yeah. Should we, uh, go check on Peter? Yeah. Peter was still sitting in the driver's seat, slumped over and staring off into the trees. He was back to thinking about the phone call he received last night. He was back to thinking about Bara. My knock on the window startled him. Hey Peter, I think me and Uri are going to go wait on the road and see if we can get someone to give us a ride to a gas station or something. Want to join? It's Sunday morning. It's Slovakia. We're in the middle of nowhere. There won't be any cars. Yeah. The scent of puke and distillates drifted by me. Pete's right. No cars today. So what, we just sit here for six hours doing nothing? Guess so, yeah. Maybe eight, Peter added. That's where I was... Stuck in the middle of a forest with someone who had just gotten out of a six-year relationship and someone who had been an accessory to a failing affair. All with a hangover to boot. Did you hear that? Peter's expression suddenly changed. He got out of the car and turned towards the forest. His brow furrowed in focus. I heard it. A sweet song of gentle melancholy came from the darkest part of the woods. The words were completely foreign to me, but there was something within the music that spoke to me. There was something in the song of the forest that wanted me to get closer. A woman singing, your eye said. Should we go look? Obviously not, I said, out of reflex back when my grandmother was around back when the cabin in the woods was hers she told me stories stories of the forest and the creatures that dwell within it of dumb travelers who ended up where they were not meant to be i didn't recall anything specific about sweet songs and dark forests but i wasn't planning on taking any chances yeah i should probably stay with the car Wouldn't want to bump into a bear or something, Peter said. It does sound mighty nice, though. The song was indeed beautiful. I was still feeling like a walking corpse, but the sweet voices coming from the darkness were a balm to my tired soul. With the trees shivering above us and that gentle gust in the wind, things seemed peaceful. What would you guys do in my position? Peter asked, breaking the peace. With the whole Bara situation, I mean. Forget about her. We responded in unison for the tenth time. Uri was sulky about his heartbreak, but he stayed silent about it. Peter felt the need to discuss it during any lull in conversation. The guy had been seeing a girl for a good six months, until he found out she wasn't exactly single. Upon finding out this information, Peter gave Bara an ultimatum. Him, or the other guy. She said she needed a month to decide. After a month, she came back with a counterproposal. She would leave her boyfriend in three months. I was pretty sure I could let it go, but I don't know. After she called me last night... Look, maybe she just doesn't want to ruin the guy's summer. They've been together for two years. That's a really long time. Bara is a really nice person. Sometimes it really gets in the way. Two years is not a long time, eye said. His tone could sharpen steel and Bara isn't a nice person. She's a manipulative bi- Hey, you guys want to go check out the singing? The words left my mouth without warning. Deep inside, I knew it was a bad idea, but I couldn't stand being witness to another discussion about Bara's personality or how incomprehensible the pain of a six-year relationship ending is. In a moment of weakness... I let myself forget about my grandmother's stories what could go wrong i thought i have a sneaking suspicion you might be biting off more than you can chew yeah sounds good as we walked through the forest peter sang praises of bara's kindness but no one listened eventually Perhaps remembering the attitudes of his audience, he went quiet. The snapping of twigs beneath our feet was soon overtaken by that sweet, angelic music. Somewhere beneath those beautiful, foreign words, there was a bubbling brook. All that stood in our way was a thorny bush. A memory of my grandma's wrinkled hand shot across my mind like cannon fire. "'Guys?' I said. "'On second thought, this might not be the best idea. "'Something really bad could be hiding behind that bush. "'Maybe we should get back to the car.' "'It is kind of scary,' Uriah said. "'Maybe you're right.' "'Peter stayed silent. "'He just stood there, staring at the shrubbery, "'lost in the gentle words of the song. "'Then... Without looking at either of us, he crossed the thorny threshold. The song stopped. It was replaced by a group of women laughing. Uri gave me an inquisitive look. I shrugged. He tucked the plastic bag deeper into his shorts before he went through the bushes. There were four of them each more beautiful than the last. As soon as they saw Uri and me, they started laughing even harder, playfully pushing each other around, trying to hide their nakedness. They weren't doing a good job. Oh, how embarrassing, the tallest one of them said, laughing like a giddy schoolgirl. You have found us bathing and we have nothing to hide our shame with. Peter laughed a laugh so nervous it made my stomach do a flip. Don't worry, he said. It is us who should apologize. We have intruded upon you. It is us who should apologize. Look at those tits, your eye whispered to me way too loudly. This got another laugh from the stunning quartet. They clearly weren't human. They stood on two legs and had bodies more tempting than anything that could be found with high-speed internet, but the creatures standing in the stream clearly weren't human. Their skin was a swampy green. On their heads, they wore messy locks of hay grass, and beneath their navels lay cleanly trimmed tufts of moss. Even though their eyes resembled those of a fish, the creatures regarded us with gazes full of sex. They clearly weren't human, but in that moment it didn't seem to matter. All that mattered was their unearthly beauty. I found my thumb caressing the edge of my wedding ring. I stopped immediately. My wife would kill me if she found out I tried fucking some mysterious forest creature. Well, uh, ladies, sorry to interrupt your bath time. Me and my friends should probably get going. I took a step backward, hoping that Uri and Peter would follow. They didn't. Nonsense, the most voluptuous of the creatures said. We rarely get visitors around these parts, especially not ones as handsome as you three. Please, let us treat you to a meal in our humble abode. I could use a bite to eat, Uri said. We would be honored to join you for a meal. My friends did a fair amount of drinking last night, and I'm sure they would appreciate some food. We were riding through the forest, and I... We... Peter's face went red. We're waiting for a tow truck. The quartet of vixens giggled once more. Their laughter was beyond pleasing, but... In the back of my head, I could sense my wife's judgmental gaze. My grandma's shaking hands were pulling me back to the car. Guys, I don't know. Maybe we should go back to the road and wait for it. There is one little problem, said the forest creature on the right, who made a bare minimum effort to contain her breasts. Oh yes, a little problem, said the one on the left who made no effort to cover herself at all. "'We live in the forest, and we have no clothes,' they said in unison. "'Nor do we wish to wear any.' "'We hope you don't mind,' said the tall one. "'We're free spirits out here.' "'Oh, don't worry about it. We're all modern here. "'We have no problem with nudity,' said Peter, still blushing.' I'm a free spirit, too, said Uri. When the creatures of the pond stopped covering themselves, he nudged me in the rib, just in case I didn't notice. I noticed. Feel free to stare, said the voluptuous one. It would be a shame to see the forest's gift go to waste. They walked beside us through the forest. At first, it felt as if we were just randomly stepping through bushes, but the longer we walked, the more I noticed a path starting to form beneath our feet. The voluptuous one slipped her hand into Uri's. He didn't resist in the least bit. It didn't take long for the nervous small talk to descend into both Uri and Peter talking about their freshly ended loves. After spending 48 hours with the two, I figured every social interaction inevitably led to that. The way that the two spoke of their past loves on their forest paths, however, was different. Urai suddenly became the instigator of the breakup. He knew full well that the girl he was with was a bad match for him. She was too traditional, too sucked into the machine. He wanted to end it before it got too serious. At no point did Uri mention his marriage proposal, and how unfair it is she changed her mind. Peter also told a radically different story. Bara wasn't a a one-of-a-kind or a living goddess. She was just some girl who cheated on her boyfriend with Peter. Now she was getting clingy. She was going to break up with her boyfriend for him, and Peter was not interested in anything long-term. Last night, he called Bara to check up on her, and she threw a giant fit on the phone that lasted multiple hours. The two well-endowed vixens didn't question any of the story. They fawned over him, calling him a treasure. Soon enough, the three of them were walking in a friendly embrace. You're a really good friend, the tall one said, bending down ever so slightly. Her voice dripped through my being like caramel. She smelled like a spring meadow after a thunderstorm. Her lips were millimeters away from my ear. It sounds like these boys barely know you, yet you offer to sit with them in their hour of need. That's very noble of you noble men are hard to. I have a wife, and we're married, and we own a dog together. My reflexive yelp made the tall one laugh. She backed off, but as we walked through the forest, her hand kept on brushing up against mine. I tried to imagine her hands were wrinkly and covered in scars of old age. I couldn't. Her skin was softer than silk. I let go of her hand when I saw the cave. Hey, uh, we really appreciate your invitation, but we really shouldn't be going in the caves right now. There's no phone signal in there. What if the tow truck can come earlier? Guys, we should turn back. No response. They all just kept on walking. The tall one walked a little slower, her hips swayed like a sexy pendulum. She shot me a look with those piercing amber eyes. I hated myself for it. My wife would castrate me for it. But I followed. The entrance was pitch dark, but within a few steps the cavern lit up in a flurry of dim colors All around us, creatures just as beautiful as our forest companions danced around glowing crystals. There was something within those crystals, something that moved, but it was impossible to pay attention to it. My eyes were glued to the sensual performance. The way those creatures moved, the way they pressed themselves up against the crystals. I found myself toying with my wedding ring again. Past the glowing, spacious cavern, there was a small stone chamber lit with candles. A roughly chiseled table extended from the ground with three tree trunks before it. Sit, the voluptuous one said, leading your eye to the table. Sit and wish for whatever food your heart most desires. Eat your fill and drink to your heart's content. Once your stomachs have been satisfied, we have a surprise for you. bruhoot, the large-breasted creatures, sang as they fought for a spot on Peter's lap. He let them both sit. They still playfully shoved each other, biting over Peter's attention. Peter enjoyed that. There was nothing on the table just moments prior, but somehow, in the flicker of the candlelight, two paper bags materialized. They bore the unmistakable logo of Pavel's Bistro. The side of the double Chipotle cheeseburger was mouthwatering, but I needed something more. My hungover stomach demanded a meal of pure meat and grease. A pork knuckle glistening straight from the oven. Next to it lay a mug of frothy beer. I leaped at the cutlery. Starving to cut off a chunk of meat. The moment my hands touched the knife, however, the tall one slid into my lap. She grabbed the utensils from me and started to carve the meat herself. You've done enough already. Let me feed you. Her gentle lips brushed against my ear. You can stay as long as you want. After lunch, I have a special surprise for you. No one should spend his weekend with two heartbroken boys and not be rewarded for it. Her buttocks wiggled as she moved the dripping fork towards my mouth. The meat smelled of smoke and honey. When the soft flesh entered my mouth, I, for a second, felt utter, undeniable bliss. But then something sharp cut across my mind. I have a sneaking suspicion you might be biting off more than you can chew. I spit out the meat and got up. This barely phased Peter and Uri. Even the tall creature didn't seem particularly angry. Are you not hungry? She said with a sheepish look on her perfect face. Uri, Peter, we need to leave. Right now. My words had no effect on my friends. In fact, they only seemed to embolden the forced creatures sitting on their laps. Uriah and Peter were still gnawing on their burgers, but their companions were starting to kiss their necks and caress their bodies. I yelled once more, but when I heard the crone of a zipper being unzipped without complaint, I backed out of the room. There was nothing I could do. All around me the green succubi were still dancing around the glowing crystals, but they no longer regarded the stones with love and adoration. They were staring at me. All traces of erotic temptation disappeared beneath a wave of furious fish eyes. It was only then that I was able to focus on the shapes that moved inside of the crystals. Men, desperate men, with rough hair and overgrown beards slammed at the edges of their colorful prisons. They wanted the forest creatures to pay attention to them. They were hypnotized by their beauty, just like my friends. Oh, don't leave just yet the tall one said, swaying towards me. With just a few long steps, she was standing next to me. Our hands quickly met. Her eyes were filled with love. She forgave me for spitting out the food and making a scene. All she wanted from me was to return to the table and relax. She pressed herself against me, The tapping of the crystals around us hushed down. It seemed like a cosmic sin not to kiss her in that moment. Reality dimmed down to nothing but our body heat. Yet, I did not kiss her. The poet in me wants to believe that I resisted because of my grandmother's stories. Another part of me wants to blame it on the fact I felt her tug at my wedding ring. But if I really think about it, it's because of her teeth. Behind those beautiful lips, there were rows of sharp, long daggers. She was a malevolent spirit of the forest. I craved to be with her, but if I was to accept her kiss, I knew I would never return home. She meant me harm. The tall one wanted to take me away from my wife. So I punched her hard enough in the nose to get blood on my fist. Blue and viscous with the shimmer of glitter, I didn't have time to examine the forest creature's blood. The cave roared with the sound of slammed crystal walls once again. The tall one's kin were descending upon me. I ran I ran through the crowd of vixens, tearing away from their gentle grasps, dodging their heavenly bodies. I ran out of that cave with such fervor that by the time I was back inside of the car, my escape had cost me a shoe, my phone, and a good chunk of my shirt. The whole sprint felt like a heart attack, but it wasn't until I was locked inside of my three-wheeled car that I felt like I might need an ambulance. According to the dashboard clock, we had spent well over six hours with those swamp women. For a good 30 minutes, I sat in the car, hyperventilating about what I would do after sundown if no help arrived. Yet, my terrified prayers were answered with a little orange light from the side of the road. The tow truck guy was pissed off to be working on a Sunday and the fact that Peter wasn't picking up his phone only amplified the fury. I didn't tell him about the forest creatures. Pretty sure he would have swung at me if I did. No, I just stayed quiet in the back of a tow truck and got a motel near the repair shop. It was a long ride, and the tow truck guy spent every minute of it yelling about politics, so I wasn't able to get any sleep. The second my head touched the motel bed, I blacked out. In the morning, it took me a moment to fully understand where I was and what had happened. The previous day's events coming into memory didn't make anything any clearer. For a moment, I considered finding some sort of way to get back into the woods to help Uri and Peter, but I was certain I wouldn't be able to say no to the tall one again. Plus, I knew my wife would be worried about me. The guy at the auto shop wasn't the least bit helpful about when my car would be fixed, so I grabbed the quickest train back home. The question of Uri and Peter's fate had to wait. The dog seemed to be a lot more excited about my arrival than my wife. She was angry, but she still hugged me tighter than she ever had before. I was meant to come back almost two days ago. I wasn't picking up my phone. She was going to call the police. By the time we opened a bottle of wine, she seemed more worried than angry. Before I got a chance to tell her what happened with Peter and Uri, her phone rang. She was finally getting an answer to her 56 missed calls, but I was in the room with her. She listened to the phone for a second, and then passed it to me. It was Uri and Peter. Their voices were animated, filled with more energy than I heard all weekend. They had found my phone near the cave and charged it at a gas station that was a bit of a hike from the woods. They were calling me to tell me they are fine. Within a minute, both of them started going into detail about how much fun they were having with their new forest friends. Putting them on speakerphone without giving context to my wife was a bad idea. Uri and Peter shrugged off all of my suggestions that they were put under some sort of a spell, that they were being used. Apparently, they were having the time of their lives. It wasn't until I mentioned I'm considering calling the police that they started to take me seriously. They said they weren't breaking any laws. They said they were staying in the cave of their free will. They begged me. Not to take away their happiness, so I didn't. Instead, once we got off the phone and I explained the matter to my wife, I tried to contact Bara and Uriah's ex-fiance. Bara seemed wholly uninterested in my messages, but Uriah's ex actually went out to look for him. Even though my wife only heard a strategically redacted version of our forest adventure, she was fully committed to finding out how the situation would be resolved. Every day, she asked me whether Uri's ex had found out anything new about the potentially imprisoned duo. When the phone call finally came in, we both listened intently on speakerphone, but were under, well... Your Isaac's had picked him up from the side of the road and sat down with him at a gas station cafe. Apparently, he was in desperate need of a haircut and his clothes smelled terrible, but aside from that, he was happier than she had ever seen him. He assured her he was doing great in his new cave life. He wouldn't listen to reason and insisted he would take great personal offense if she called the cops. After their talk, Uriah's ex dropped him off back at the edge of the forest and then decided to drop the matter entirely and move on with her life. She suggested we do the same. I called them back a couple times from my wife's phone. Weeks later, Uriah and Peter still insisted they were having the time of their life. They also insisted in describing in detail, the acts that their new lifestyle involved. They spoke with the gentlest of lisps, and their capacity to pick up on other topics of conversations aside from sex had diminished considerably. They started suggesting I visit them. Soon enough, they demanded it. It was during these fever sales pitches that their voices suddenly disappeared. Someone else took the phone. Someone with a voice like a gentle spring breeze. She said she wasn't angry about me punching her in the face. She said that we all get nervous sometimes. She still had my shoe. Sometimes, on the nights when she couldn't stop thinking about me, She smelled it. She was waiting. That night, I let myself indulge in the ecstasy of the tall one's voice. I rode my phone battery all the way until its bitter end. Yet in the morning, I deleted the number. I knew that if I could call her whenever I wished, if I could let myself surrender to the Tall One's influence whenever life got too difficult, I would end up just like Uri and Peter did. The inability to contact her would make her absence bearable. The moment I deleted the number, I decided to take a page out of Bara's book and pretend nothing had ever happened. I live in hopes that my longing for the strange forest creature will eventually subside, that it will be buried beneath the commitments of my marriage, of more dogs, of kids. Yet, just in case it doesn't work out with my wife, I keep a little mental snapshot of the spot where my old car breathed its last. If my marriage goes to shit, I wouldn't mind taking a bumpy ride down a rustic forest road. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, please give it a like, subscribe for more, make sure to check out the author's links. On top of huge thanks to the author as always, and make sure to subscribe for more. Now, I, I swear to God, I did not lie to you guys. There is a, uh, a very big project on its way. I'm in the midst of editing it, but uh, I was lucky enough to be sent this story by the author and asked if I wanted to narrate it. And uh, it, it's, you know, a great story. So I, I'm, I'm very happy to be able to uh, help share it with you guys. And once again, huge thanks to uh, Mike. Amazing author. Check out his stuff. But though I can't bring you the uh, very large project I'm working on just yet, I do need to give some major thanks to my patrons and YouTube members, everybody who supports me on here. Uh, Your name is is flowing by now or already has as I was talking just a moment ago. And uh, thank you so much. But I'm going to give a verbal shout out to all of my $5 and up patrons now. Huge thanks to Gabriel B, Jamie P, Jacob D, Michael L, Christopher P, Absinthe Alice, Lydia P, Ryan T, Tim W, Fullore, Mike222777, Tuxedo Catatonic, Tumultuous Tay, Shannon M, Grendel, Sky Mara Ravensword, and I think that is it. Thank you all so much for your support. It means the world. And also, thank you to everybody who picks up a shirt on the merch store or uh, just, just does anything. Did you get up? Did you brush your teeth today? Good job. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. So without further ado, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed, and have a great night. Cheers.